The reading is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32, and that's on page 1049 of the Church Bibles. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitution, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. So would you like to just remain standing and we'll have a prayer. Father, we thank you so much that we can be here today to worship you and to hear about you and to learn about you. And we pray as we look at your word together, you will speak to us clearly and simply and directly. In Jesus' name, amen. So do sit down. 
And uh, can I just say, it's great to be back here again. I so enjoyed coming in the, at the Christmas time for the, those wonderful carol services. I was contrasting a carol service at Chester Square with St. Barnabas Lehman Road, where, where my wife and I worked. It was slightly different. It was a bit like comparing Man United with Port Vale, but it was great. And I would like to thank Charles uh, for his very kind welcome and also to Tim as well for all that he's done in in helping this week um, to happen. A few years ago, my wife and I took a little team with us from our church. I was then working in a church in uh, the middle of York. We took a team to North India, where we were teaching some pastors and uh, leaders in churches in the north of India. And I heard a story about a vicar who went to preach in India. He'd never preached in India before, so like uh, us, we were, we were always working through interpreters. And he got up, and the first line of his, sent, of his sermon went like this. He said, the beatific familiarity of this passage, traditionally associated with quinquagesima, must not cause us to neglect its profundity. So the interpreter put it like this to the people. He said, So far, the preacher's not said anything worth remembering, (laughs) but when he does, I'll let you know. So I hope you won't feel that this morning. Now, if you've got a Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to page 1049 to this very well-known passage uh, that was read to us. And I want to speak uh, to you this morning about the search for happiness. And... uh, Many people, I find, are searching for happiness. They're also looking for love, and many people are also desperate for peace. But the sad fact is that often we look in the wrong places for those things. Uh, They conducted a massive Gallup poll of Western Europe recently, and they found a number of things. Honesty was on the wane, Religious beliefs were declining, peace of mind was rare, morals had deteriorated, and then this, happiness was increasingly difficult to find. And there are many people, and it was so great hearing Warren's uh, story, there are many people who feel that their lives are empty, and it's amazing how easy it is to drift through life. You go from school to university, if you're lucky to do that, you then get a job, then you you get married, working hard, but not really sure why you're working, except perhaps to get a slightly bigger house or a slightly better car. I have to say on the way here, Charles and I passed a Maserati, a Rolls-Royce, a couple of Bentleys, a Ferrari, and one or two, well, Range Rovers, I mean, they're really nothing, are they? So I thought, that's quite interesting to pass all that in just a few minutes' walk down here to the church. And there's a feeling inside that there must be more to life than this. And the the things that people turn to to make them happy somehow don't satisfy. We've just heard that from, from Warren in his talk. You've probably all heard the Chinese proverb, if you want to be happy for three hours get drunk. If you want to be happy for three days, get married. 
If you want to be happy for eight days, kill your pig and eat it. But if you want to be happy for a lifetime, become a gardener. My wife and I have just got an allotment. And uh, I think everybody, if you ask them what is their purpose in life, I find nearly everybody says, I want to be happy. Happiness, wrote Aristotle, is the meaning and purpose of life, the whole aim and end of human existence. So how do we find happiness? My vicar in London, to whom I owe so much, wrote this. He said, happiness is like a mirage. Reach for it to grasp it, and it vanishes. Happiness is not a goal to pursue, but it is actually a byproduct of love. God gives happiness not when we pursue it, but when we pursue him and others in love. That is so, so true. So what I want to do uh, uh, with you is have a look at one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. Uh, It's the story of the prodigal son or the lost son. And I want you to imagine, if you can, you've got to use your imagination a bit this morning, that you're not here in a church, but you're in a theater. If we could go on to the next slide. And uh, you're about to see a play uh, entitled The Drama of Life. And like uh, all plays, it has a number of acts in it, and each act has a number of short scenes. So can you do that? Can you get into your imagination and uh, come, come away with me into this theater? So let's have a look at act number one, and I've called it Sick of Home. Now look at your Bible. Jesus said, verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, scene one is a beautiful home, a large country house. We've got a few houses like that near us in York. In fact, the house that uh, Warren went to where he met this very, very wealthy multimillionaire, he lives in a house a bit similar to that. I remember when I first met him, he didn't know Jesus Christ either. And uh, this is a beautiful house. There are acres of garden, and there's an elderly father full of kindness and love. And he's got two sons with him, and the younger one is tired and restless. He's bored. He's tired of being at home with his father, and he's heard of the excitement of the city, uh, what Jesus calls the far country. So he goes to his father and he says, Dad, can you give me my share of the inheritance that's due to me? And uh, Jewish law said that the younger son was entitled to one-third of the inheritance. The older son was entitled to two-thirds. And the interesting thing is, as Jesus says in the story, you can see it there in verse 12, the father gave him what he asked for, and he divides his property between them. Now, scene two is leaving home. It's a beautiful spring morning. I was hoping that the sun would be shining this morning, but it wasn't. But you want you to imagine the sun is shining, 
the, uh, no, back, sorry, back again, back to the other slide. Uh, the sun is shining, the, the birds are singing, the air is full of fragrance, there's blossom on the trees, and our young friend is full of excitement. And he goes down the tree-lined avenue of his home, which he knows so well, he's not really thinking of his father. In fact, he doesn't even bother to say goodbye to his father, but he opens the gate to go out into a false and a cruel world, though he doesn't realize that at the time. And he doesn't bother to, to look at his father, who is watching him go with great sadness. Now, what is Jesus saying here as he describes this situation to us? And I think what Jesus is doing is he's describing to us a picture of a problem which we all face, all of us. And, and the problem that we face is wandering. It's going our own way rather than God's way. Because in the story that Jesus has just told, the Father stands for God. And Jesus' hearers would have known that as he told the story. And the younger son stands for many of us wandering, living our lives around ourselves, ignoring God as well as openly disobeying him. And it's this attitude, and Tim has already um, mentioned that this this morning, it's this attitude that the Bible calls sin. Now, what is sin? It's not a word that we use very often today, but it's basically self-centeredness. One friend of mine, uh, she used to say when somebody said to her, well, what do you mean by sin? She'd say, what is the middle letter of sin? And sin is basically I first. It's not just killing, stealing, and telling lies. It's basically at root selfishness self-centeredness. So I sin when I do just what I want. I sin when I can't be bothered with God. And I sin when I don't do the things that I know I should do. And uh, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, in his letter to the Romans, says, for all have sinned. All of us. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's laws. None of us have come up to God's standards. He says, we've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. So that's Act 1. Now let's move on to Act 2, and I've called it Home Sick. And if you look again at the text, we read this. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, Jesus spells out in graphic terms here, the result of going our own way. What actually happens to us when we live a life of self-centeredness rather than putting God at the center? So let's have a look at the scenes. Now, scene one is a happy scene. Our young friend has reached the city. 
the distant far country or the distant country, as Jesus calls it. Life is very exciting. Each day is packed with fun and each night there are parties to go to. And he had plenty of money. He'd got his inheritance from his father, so his wallet is full and he has lots of friends. And he finds himself looking back on his home life and he even feels sorry for his older brother stuck at home. So that's scene one. Now scene two, the scene shifts. We're still in the city, but the boom has burst. Hard times have come. People are out of work. Famine stalks the streets. On each street corner, there are groups of men and women in ragged clothes looking for work. Everyone for himself. He's got no friends. They've all deserted him. They're all trying to earn a few extra pounds doing odd jobs. And our young friend is one of them. Scene three, a rural scene, not a very pleasant one. Try and imagine what was once a great pasture. There's not a single blade of grass. In the drought, it's all dried up. And our young friend is sitting beneath a tree. There's a herd of pigs nosing around in the dirt, looking for the pods from the tree. His head is in his hands. He's in despair. He's desperate. Now, Jesus, what's Jesus saying here? He's describing in very vivid terms the results of going our own way. What happens when we live for ourselves? First of all, there's pleasure. Jesus says he squandered his wealth in wild living, self-indulgence. He lost all self-control. He thought that it would lead to freedom, but instead it led to slavery. He had a good time at first, mind you. Don't let anyone tell you that sin is not pleasurable. The Bible is not so naive as to say that sin is not pleasurable, but it adds with great realism the fleeting pleasures of sin. It is the fleeting pleasures of sin which lead many people away from God. So pleasure, and on the back of pleasure, is emptiness. He began to be in need, Jesus says, hunger and humiliation. It's a very vivid phrase that Jesus uses. And when we live for ourselves and away from God, we find it leads to emptiness. It's just, we've heard that this morning from Warren When you live for yourself, it eventually leads to emptiness. There's always going to be a hole on the inside until we know God. Because God has made us to know him and to experience him. And we try to fill this emptiness with drink, with drugs, with sex. But as one student once said to me, it leaves you feeling hollow afterwards. Others try hard work or success. But that doesn't satisfy the hunger, the deep hunger inside of us. Jesus said, 
I am the bread of life. He's the only one who can satisfy our deepest hunger because he's the only one who can introduce us to to the God who made us. And that's followed, pleasure, emptiness, it's followed by loneliness. No one gave him anything. The city which promised so much had turned into a place of isolation and loneliness and despair. Do you know, loneliness is one of the biggest killers today. Mother Teresa, she said, the greatest killer in the world is not starvation. The greatest killer is loneliness. And let me tell you, those three things go together. I've seen that. I've seen that over many years working with all sorts of people. Pleasure, emptiness, loneliness. I know so many people who are caught. They are caught up in that. I've met many, hundreds, hundreds of people who are caught up in that. They surveyed some students in the UK and they asked them, what's the greatest problem you face? And the greatest problem was not lack of money, it was loneliness. And we see that on an epidemic scale in our cities and in this country. It's happening all over. So let's move on to Act 3, our final act, home. Scene 1. Our young friend is beneath the tree. His head is in his hands. He's in despair. He begins to think of his father, how his father's servants are better off than he is. So he comes to his senses and he he resolves to go back to his father to admit his failure. I've sinned, he says. Treat me as one of your servants. So he sets off for home. But he's limping. He's limping. He's in rags. Scene two, a wonderful scene. Our young friend is coming home, and the father, the waiting father, is out there. He's been there so many times to look for his son. And he sees him coming, and what does he do? He runs down the the road to meet him. He throws his arms around him. He's so glad to have his son home again. He puts the best robe on his back. He puts a ring on his fingers. He puts sandals on his feet. And then scene three is a party. Dancing and music and food and drink. We're going to be doing lots of that this week uh, in our events week. And the older son comes in from the fields. What's all the celebration about, he asks. And when he hears that his younger son is back, he's absolutely furious. And I can understand that. Wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you feel angry? Well, maybe some of you would. I think I would. He's furious and he storms off in a rage, angry at his father's joy at having the young son back. Now, what is Jesus teaching us here? Now, listen very carefully. He's teaching us, first of all, there is a way back home. And it involves coming to your senses. It involves taking a hard look at yourself. It involves recognizing your mistakes and then resolving to get up and go back and to say sorry to God, not just sitting there. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that 
at the end of the service in a few minutes, at the end of the sermon. If I'm to know God, I have to decide to go back to him and to say sorry. Secondly, Jesus is teaching us here the love of the Father. God loves you. He loves the people of this parish. He loves them. Our sin breaks his heart. And God's son died of a broken heart on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. And because of the cross, there is always a way back to him. And the older son teaches that it's quite possible to miss the party. What was the older son's mistake? Jesus uses a very interesting phrase. He says he refused to go in. Now, the older son, the older brother, stands for the person who's not rebelled, who's not been a prodigal, but he's a person who begrudges the grace of God. He doesn't want to receive the love of his father. He wants to achieve it. Now, there's no way back to God except through his love and his grace, which was shown in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. So the younger son was a long way off, but he swallowed his pride and he went in. The older son was nearer, but he refused to do that. He refused to accept that what the father was offering him. So I want to ask you, uh, will you come home this morning? Uh, and I'm not quite sure where you are on this journey, but I want to give everyone a chance to respond. So what I'd like you to do is, if, if you would, take your little comment card. You've got one in your, um, in your order of service. Everybody's got one. And also, at the end of the... Um, is it at the end of the pew? The, in the seats, there are some pencils. So I'd like you all to... Because I'd like everybody to respond, actually. And what I'm going to do is, in just a minute, I'm going to pray a, a, a very simple prayer where I... I say, basically, sorry to God for going my own way. I acknowledge that. I'm going to say, please, Lord, will you forgive me? And also, thank you. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. And uh, there may be some of you here who've, who've never yet taken this step. And I want to give you a chance to do that. You can pray with me uh, as, you're sit as you're sitting. Um, and if you pray with me and you wanted to join us, there's a little thing there which says, count me in. You could just put a little tick there which says, book me in for the next Alpha course. I'd like to get involved at St. Michael's. Or you may be somebody, you're not quite ready to do that. You're not ready to say, count me in, but you, you want to know more. You'd like to know some more. Well, there's another uh, little box there tell me more i'd like to join the big questions course or keep me posted and there might be some of you here this morning who say well thanks <coughs> looking forward to the lunch but but no thanks uh, uh, and there's no further information one and and that's fine you could put a tick there there's i don't there's no pressure on any you may of course already be a, a christian and but and we and if you are we'd love you to put your comments on the card because it will help us for future events. 
So is that clear? So we've all got an opportunity to respond in whatever way is right for us. Now I'm going to just suggest now we, we bow our heads. So let's, let's bow our heads and I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And uh, there might be someone here this morning who, who would really like to pray with me. And uh, you, you sense that God is calling you, he's calling you home, and you want to come home. And you want to say these three words to him. Sorry, sorry for going my own way, asking God to forgive me. Thank you, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me on the cross, that you want to give me forgiveness and freedom. And please, please come into my life. Please be at the center. And if you're ready to do that, here's a prayer which you can pray with me now. So just let's be still and quiet for a minute. Lord Jesus Christ, and you can say these words just quietly in your heart. I am sorry for the things that I've done wrong in my life. And you might want to just take a few moments to ask his forgiveness for anything particular that is on your conscience. Please, Lord, forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.